0: Welcome to the Crossroads Church Podcast. You're about to hear a message that we hope will inspire, encourage, and challenge you to grow closer to God. So sit back, prepare your heart, and see where God can take you. We're continuing our message series today that we kicked off last week called The Devils in the Details. Before I jump into this, Would you guys like to hear a Boudreaux and Thibodeau joke? I know you were like going, oh, I hope so. Uh, So here's the deal. There's this old uh, fella, this grandpa with his grandson. They were over in Browbridge, over by the cemetery. They were picking up some pecans, lots of pecan trees there. They were picking up pecans. They were putting them into two piles. Uh, One pile, grandpa would take home. The other pile, the grandson would take home to the family and as they're putting him in the piles, Grandpa's saying, one for you, one for me, one for you, one for me, one for you, one for me. Boudreaux happened to be passing by the cemetery about that time and heard a voice in the cemetery saying, one for you, one for me, one for you, one for me. And all of a sudden he thinks, oh no, God and the devil are divvying up souls in the cemetery. And so he runs to tell Thibodeau, gets near Thibodeau's house, Thibodeau's coming down the road on his horse. So they ride back together to the cemetery Boudreaux said, you're not gonna believe it. God and the devil are divvying up souls there in the cemetery. Thibodeau said, come on. He said, you're gonna see for yourself. They get there, they creep down as close to the fence there at the cemetery as they could, hoping they would you know, be able to, 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 to see what was going on. They couldn't see it, but they definitely could hear it. Thibodeau heard it for himself, one for you, one for me, one for you, one for me. And Thibodeau looked at Boudreau and said, Boudreau, you're right, God and the devil are dividing up souls here in the cemetery. It was about that time the grandpa looked at the grandson and said, oh, we're all done here. Let's just go over by the fence, pick up those last two nuts and take those home with us. And man, I'm telling you, even though Thibodeau was on his horse, Boudreau beat him home, y'all. He beat him to the house. We're uh, continuing this series today called The Devil's in the Details. Have you heard this cliche? Have you heard that, the devil's in the details? When someone says that, what they're really saying is they're saying sometimes the details of a thing are the most problematic. And that's certainly true as it relates to the devil. There's so much in scripture that the Bible tells us about this archenemy of God, this one called Satan or the devil. And those details can be so problematic for us sometimes because the scripture tells us that we're destroyed for a lack of knowledge. If you don't know those details, if you're not aware of those details, then the enemy will be able to do exactly what Jesus warned us he's there to do, what the devil's there to do. And that is to steal from us, to kill and to destroy us. But God doesn't want that for any of us. And so there's so much in the Bible that gives us insight and understanding about this enemy that we face and how to overcome him. And we began to really kind of unpack that together last Sunday. And uh, today I wanna just take that a little bit further. I wanna take that just one step further. And I want us to just think for just a second about this word detail, because although one use of the word does speak to kind of the specifics of a situation, There's other applications of this word. If you've served in the military or if you've ever been in law enforcement, you know that a detail is a specific assignment that key soldiers or or key officers will be sent on that assignment or that detail to carry out a very specific task. And that's exactly what's happening so often with the powers of darkness, with these satanic powers at work within our fallen world today. And so I wanna really focus on that with you. I've got more sermon than I have time, but I can talk fast if you can listen fast. So y'all hang with me. The first thing I wanna point out is the fact that the devil is militant. He is very militant. And we need to understand that about him. First Timothy chapter six and verse 12, the Holy Spirit inspires the apostle Paul to write these words to every believer. The apostle Paul says, fight the good fight of faith. Have you figured out yet that faith is a fight, man? It's a battle. It's a war that we have to wage. We are in a battle And God said we're to fight the good fight of faith. It's so important that we understand that and that we realize who this battle is with. So often we're so busy fighting each other. We're so busy kind of trying to carry out this warfare, if you will, kind of on human terms when in fact our real enemy isn't human at all. And it's so important to understand that. So I wanna return to Ephesians chapter six and verse 12, where the Bible warns us that we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. What's what's the Bible saying here? The the battle is not with your brother-in-law. The battle's not with your boss. The battle is not with your neighbor. It's not with humans. It's not with flesh and blood. But in fact, what we need to do is we need to wage war with those unseen enemies, those powers of darkness, motivating your neighbor to do what he does, motivating maybe your boss to try to take advantage of you in some way. But so often we engage in this battle that is strictly fleshly and we just make matters worse. And the enemy laughs all the way to the bank, man. That's what he wanted. He's just wanting confusion to set in. But the minute you start turning your attention towards a real battle. When you start really leveling your warfare against these powers of darkness, come on, y'all, we can overcome our enemy. We can send that enemy running. We can know the victory that Christ won for us at the cross. Give him praise if you believe it today. The battle, however, must be carried out with the right weapons. With this war that we wage, there are weapons that we must engage In that battle, using that weaponry, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse four says, the weapons we use in our fight are not the world's weapons, but they're God's powerful weapons which we use to destroy strongholds. Everybody say the word strongholds. See, that's what these principalities and powers, these rulers of the darkness of this world, it's what they want to do. They want to create a stronghold over your life. They want to fortify their grip on your life, your family, your finances. Come on. They want to create this stronghold over you as a believer in Christ. But God said, we're gonna use the weapons he's made available to us to destroy those strongholds. There's not a believer in this room, not a believer joining us online that has to stay under the stronghold that you're under currently. God wants to set the captive free today. And that freedom comes as we understand our enemy and we understand the weapons by which we defeat our enemy. Ephesians chapter six, verse 11 and 12 tells us, put on the whole armor of God, so that you'll be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. Did you see what scripture reveals here today? We have an enemy that's very, very strategic. And I said last week, and I want to repent, Satan isn't omniscient in the sense that he's all-knowing like God is. He's not. Satan is not, but he is perceptive. And you need to know that He's watching you. He's aware of you. He's aware of your vulnerabilities. He's aware of where you're unguarded in your own life. And that's where He preys on you very, very strategically. He wants to prey on you. And so it's so important, man, that, that, that we put on the whole armor of God. The Bible describes a breastplate of righteousness. We need to be walking in right standing with God. He talks about the helmet of salvation, y'all. You got to get saved and let your life be covered by that salvation. You've gotta put on the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace. God wants you living in a peace that the world just has no answers for, it has no understanding of, and that's gonna prepare you for whatever battle that you face. You need to put on the belt of truth, come on. It's truth that's gonna hold your pants up during this battle. You need to put on the belt of truth. The Bible talks about the shield of faith that quenches all the fiery darts of the enemy. In other words, Satan is throwing some things at you, but all of that can be quenched by a shield of strong faith in Jesus. And then he tells us to take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We need to read the word. We need to study the word. We need to memorize the word. We need to pray the word of God, why? Because it's the sword we wield in this battle against the enemy. Just like our Lord and Savior Jesus did, listen, we'll defeat Satan when we're able to look at him and say, it is written. There's power in the word of God and our enemy is no match for that powerful word. So we need to be aware of this armory and we need to put on this armor so we can battle well. Now. I've already mentioned, let me mention again, demons are sent out on details. They're given very specific assignments, and I want us to look a little closer at that scripturally kind of under, to, to have a better understanding of how the enemy's working, maybe in our own kind of day-to-day life. Demons are sent out on details. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse seven, kind of shows you how this worked. Paul's sharing here more or less a portion of his personal story. And he says this, lest I be lifted up by the abundance of revelations that God had given him, a thorn for my flesh was handed over to me, watch this, an angel of Satan to buffet me, lest I be lifted up. What's Paul describing here? A demon on a detail, a demon that's been given an assignment to buffet the apostle Paul. If you think about it, for those of you who've studied the Old Testament, the entire book of Job describes the devil trying to bring a man of God down. You ever thought about that? The entire book demonstrates that Satan will send out a very specific detail or assignment against an individual to try to bring them down. Look at me, that's not just true of Job, that's true of you. And then in Luke chapter 22, verse 31, Jesus is in a conversation with Simon Peter, and here's what he says. He says, Simon, Simon, look, Satan asked to have you that he might sift you as wheat. There's a demon on a detail from the prince of darkness to sift Simon Peter like wheat, and Jesus made him aware of that and in so doing, he makes us aware that as his followers, there are demons on detail that want to take us out. And that's why we've got to submit ourselves to God, resist the devil, and the Bible said he will flee from us. I, 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 I want to just kind of bring this home, give you a personal example of this. Uh, we have a, a spiritual growth track that we do within the context of our small group network. We call it Freedom. It's basically a 12-week study in Scripture to understand the strongholds that exist and how to overcome those strongholds in our own life. Because a lot of people come into the kingdom of God with these strongholds still intact within their life and they need to be set free from it. And so we just guide them through that scripturally. We have a prayer retreat at the end of the semester and we have all our people here fasting, praying, just ready, man, to to be used by the power of the Holy Spirit. And every semester people are set free from things they've struggled with, sometimes for Decades. Sometimes they're a part of families that have been struggling with it literally for centuries. And they're set free by the power of God. But did you know, leading into that retreat weekend, almost every semester, Satan begins to fight us tooth and nail. We'll have people in accidents, we'll have people that have to go to the hospital, people that wind up sick, why? Because demons are sent on these details to try to stop freedom from happening. But how many know, greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. That freedom happens not by might or power, but by the Spirit of God working through our church to the glory of God. But do you see how these details are carried out by these demons? I think it's important to point out, again, just so we understand how he works, that demonic details can be geographic in nature. And I know many of you have experienced this. You fly into certain cities. For instance, you fly into the city of New Orleans, or maybe you fly into uh, New York City. And there are places in cities like that, that you can literally feel the presence of evil. It's like as you're driving from one block to the other, all of a sudden you're aware of an evil that exists there geographically in that area that is tangible, man. You can feel it. Am I the only one? No, no, no. We sense this. We recognize this, but let me show you this scripturally. I want to show you that Demonic details can be geographic in nature. Daniel chapter 10 is a perfect example of this. And if you haven't studied that chapter, I encourage you to maybe do that on your own time this week. But Daniel, great man of God, is praying and asking God for an answer to prayer... And on the first day that Daniel prayed, God sent an angel to bring his answer to him. But Daniel doesn't get that answer for 21 days. When the angel arrives, he lets him know, I was sent on day one, but I've been held up for 21 days by what he refers to as the prince of Persia. Now remember, spiritual wickedness manifest in these principalities, these powers, these rulers of the darkness of this fallen world. So this prince of Persia is obviously a high-ranking demon spirit that was able to delay the angel bringing Daniel his answer until God sent reinforcement. A higher-ranking angelic being from heaven comes, kind of kicks tail and takes names, and this first angel is free to go and bring Daniel his answer. Do we see here? that there are demonic details that are very geographically specific. I wanna show you another example of this. I've shown you in the Old Testament, let me show you in the New Testament, Mark chapter five, verse 10, Jesus is casting demons out of a man. And the Bible says that the demon begged Jesus repeatedly not to send them out of the region. Notice he didn't ask him not to send him out of the man, he asked him not to send him out of the region, why? That's his detail. That's his geographical area Satan, the prince of darkness, has assigned to him, and he's asking not to be sent out of that region. Now, I'm bringing all that up so that we can recognize together, and today I'm calling you into intercession with me against the geographically kind of um, assigned demonic forces right here in our own area. And I believe I have identified them through the years. Many of you have as well. I believe there is a strong religious spirit in this area. A religious spirit that wants to deceive the minds of men and women and young people in believing that as long as their name is written down on somebody's church roll, as long as somebody sprinkled them with a little water when they were a baby, that that ensures them a place in the kingdom of God. But God said, you must be born again. Yeah. Jesus said, you must be born again. Now there's religious spirits that want you to I want you to believe in the idea that your affiliation with some church or some priest is going to get you into the kingdom of God. But listen to me, it will not get you into the kingdom of God. You must be saved by grace through faith. And this religious spirit is holding so many of our friends, our loved ones, captive in this false sense of security over where they stand with God. We've got to tear that stronghold down. Now, don't be surprised that the enemy would manifest in a religious spirit. In fact, here's what Paul said. Paul said uh, over in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, I'm not surprised. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. You understand the devil's not going to come to you looking like Freddy Krueger. Some of y'all don't even know who that is, and I'm glad. I'm glad you don't know. He's not gonna come to you looking like that. He's gonna come to you looking like promise, looking like potential, right? Looking like something good, something helpful. And he's just trying to lure you into his snare, into his trap, into his deceit. So I wanna take the next few minutes and I wanna just share with you scripturally the types of demons on detail. So that we can recognize them and we can stand guard against them, so that we can begin to push back on them, push them out of our life, push them out of our homes, out of our area, types of demons on detail. Number one, the spirit of fear. Many of you have struggled with this all your life, a spirit of fear. Second Timothy chapter one verse seven says, "God did not give us a spirit of fear." Well, if God didn't give it to you, who did? Satan did. God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Here's a principle that I want you to see that applies to so many of these spirits that I'm gonna show you scripturally today. Listen to this principle. Satan wants to take what is common and turn it it into control. He He wants to take what's common to us all and make it a form of control within our life. Fear is not an unhealthy thing. When, it, when, it's, when it's in proper balance. Listen, yeah. if I get too near this stage, something tells me don't take a step further, right? I don't wanna fall off the stage. That's a healthy sense of fear. What Satan wants to do is take what is common And turn it into control. Where all of a sudden I'm afraid of everything. I'm afraid of things that there's no rationale for. And that I stay in fear. And that that fear paralyzes me. You understand, don't you? There's a difference there between what's common to all of us. And what has turned into control in some of us. It's a spirit of fear. Number two is the spirit of deception. Now I mentioned last week. This is the number one way the enemy works against us. is through deceiving deceiving us through deception. 1 John chapter 4, verse 6 says, we're from God. The person who knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. Watch this. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of deceit. So deceit is a spirit. There is a There is a demonic spirit of deception that can come on people. And what once was a kind of just normal, rational thinking individual, all of a sudden is believing the most outrageous thing. What's happened? A spirit of deception has taken over within their life. Number three, the spirit of pride. Now we've got to watch for this one. After all, like we learned last week, Satan hasn't always been Satan. He was once known as Lucifer. He was a created angel in the presence of a holy God serving the divine purposes of God until... Pride filled his heart, and he led a revolt against God there in heaven in the ageless past. Now listen to me. You need to understand, if pride can do that to Lucifer, it can do that to us. And so we've got to guard ourselves against a spirit of pride. Listen to Proverbs 16, verse 18. Many of you are familiar with this passage, but you never notice the spiritual emphasis of this passage. Pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall. So there is a spirit of arrogance. There's a spirit of pride the enemy will use to take us down. Number four is the spirit of heaviness. Now I wanna spend a little time with this. Like I said, I've got more sermon than I've got time, but I wanna spend a little bit of time with this because there's much confusion surrounding what I'm about to describe to you. But Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah 61 verse three says that the Holy Spirit will console those who mourn in Zion Give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. So here's one of these demonic powers that is called out right here in this passage. It's called a spirit of heaviness that God does all this so that those folks can be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, so that God may be glorified. But I want you to see here that the Bible calls out a spirit of heaviness that manifests in so many of our lives through forms of depression, hopelessness, even suicidal thoughts. All of that stem from darkness. It is a war against your very soul. How many realize that? And it's so important that that we recognize, hey, this heaviness that we're under, this depression that we're suffering with, many times is very spiritual in nature. It is a demonic attack against you. Another one of these concepts, if you don't get anything else I've said all day, I know I'm talking fast, wrap your heart around this truth. Anything that's not natural is supernatural. We tend to have the mistaken idea that if something's not natural, well, that's just really unnatural. No, 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 no. If it's not natural, it's supernatural. Your natural drive you were born with is to live, is to survive. If you don't know how to swim, somebody throws you in a pool of water over your head, you're gonna fight to your dying breath to try to survive, right? That's what's natural. So if you find yourself in a place where you don't wanna live, but you wanna die, supernatural forces are at work within that. That is a demonic attack against you. Look at me, God wants to set you free. And God will set you free in the name of Jesus even now. Even now I speak freedom over your life, deliverance over your life, in the mighty, mighty name of Jesus. And I feel like it's really important for me to point to something that many times we just, in spiritual circles like this, kind of skip over and so many times people carry the weight of some of this that's so unnecessary. It's important to discern between satanic spiritual oppression and biological chemical deficiencies. Both are very real. Sometimes depression is nothing more than a spiritual attack against, attack against you. Sometimes Depression is a result of a chemical imbalance within you that can be treated medically. And let me just say this. Medicine is our friend, it's a gift from God. Doctors, nurses, they're a gift from God. Can we stop and thank God for modern science? Come on. We thank God for medical science. And so, just like someone who has diabetes has a deficiency within their chemical makeup, in their blood, and and insulin can help them live a very productive life, so some people with a chemical deficiency that manifests in the way of depression or something along those lines can be helped medically. But sometimes that's not what's gonna help. Sometimes it's strictly spiritual in nature, and we've gotta discern between the two. And I just think that's so important that we recognize that, that I wanted to really point to it today. Number five, another evil demonic spirit sent on assignment or detail is the spirit of infirmity. Now all sickness ultimately is of the devil. Can we agree on that? And so thank God, God has provided healing and made healing available to us so that we can be healed from sickness and disease and infirmity. Sometimes God works through medicine, sometimes God works through miracles, but it's always God at work, amen? Amen. All right, so the spirit of infirmity is something that goes beyond. Let me just point this out. Jesus is the healer of any and every sickness, but the spirit of infirmity is different than diseases or ailments, disorders that result from genetics or age or seasonal symptoms. And and it's so important that we recognize that and understand sometimes... This illness is an attack from Satan through a spirit of infirmity. An example of it is in Luke chapter 13, verse 11, where the Bible describes a woman who had a spirit of infirmity for 18 years and she was bent over and could in no way straighten herself up because a demon spirit afflicted her along those lines. Number six, another one of these demons on detail is the spirit of Antichrist. And this spirit is taking over our fallen world today. How many see it happening all around you? The spirit of antichrist is rising up like never before all around us. First John chapter four, verse three says, if anyone claims to be a prophet and does not acknowledge the truth about Jesus, that person is not from God. Such a person has the spirit of Antichrist, which you heard is coming into the world and indeed is already here. This spirit, the spirit of Antichrist is behind every cult. It's behind every false religion that ever has existed. It's a demonic spirit on detail. Number seven is the spirit of stupor. How many feel like you have a friend that has that one? Don't, 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 don't raise your hand, don't, don't raise your hand. Romans chapter 11 in verse eight says that God has given some over to a spirit of stupor, eyes that they should not see, ears that they should not hear to this very day. It's also mentioned in scripture as a spirit of slumber or sleep, and it's speaking on spiritual terms. This spirit, I believe, is affecting much of Christendom today. Much of Christendom today has been lured to sleep by an enemy that doesn't want us with our head up and our eyes open. Why? Because he wants to prevail in his efforts to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And he knows that if he can keep the church asleep, he'll be able to have his way. Oh, but the moment the church wakes up, the moment there's an awakening within the body of Christ, the, the moment there's a real revival that begins to stir in his church, listen... In the Lord's Church, the devil is no match for the Spirit of God moving through Christianity. Listen, that's why in Ephesians 5 verse 14, the apostle writes, awake you who sleep and rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. What do we see here in Scripture? We see examples of demons own details, the spirit of fear, the spirit of deception, the spirit of pride, and the spirit of heaviness, the spirit of infirmity, the spirit of antichrist, the spirit of stupor, and number eight, the spirit of bondage. This particular spirit is the spirit behind every form of addiction, alcoholism, drug addiction, pornography. This spirit is behind it all. In Romans chapter eight and verse 15, The Bible tells us you didn't receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. God wants to set every addict free. Can I just stand here after 40 years of sobriety and let you know God can set any addict free and keep him free to the glory of God. Number nine, let's look at the spirit of divination, or you might refer to this one as the spirit of witchcraft. In Acts chapter 16 and verse 16, Luke describes how one day as we were going to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners a great deal of money by fortune-telling. This spirit, this very real demon, on detail is the spirit behind fortune-telling, it's the spirit behind astrology, witchcraft, traitors here in South Louisiana. It is a wicked, wicked spirit. And it's often a gateway measure that Satan use, uses to gain even greater access into an individual's life. By the way, drug use is another one. A, a gateway measure to try to get more and more ground within your life and within your existence. Number 10. Another one that we see just taking over the world around us is the spirit of lust. This one's always been around. It's always been around, but it is working in unprecedented ways to deceive mankind today. Can I get a better amen? Amen. Hosea chapter four, verse 12, God says, my people consult their wooden idols and their divining rods, inform them for a spirit of promiscuity leads them astray. They act promiscuously, in disobedience to their God. The Bible points to a spirit of promiscuity or a spirit of lust. Just in the last couple of weeks, I don't know about you, but I've been absolutely appalled as I watched the response on the part of what was once a corporation dedicated to wholesome family entertainment, Walt Disney. I've watched when Florida put a law in place simply to protect children and said, listen, we're not gonna let any form of sex education happen before third grade. N- no form of sex education, no form of sexual orientation education is gonna happen before third grade. And by the way, if and when it does happen, we're gonna let parents look at the curriculum before we teach it in our classroom. To me, that sounds like common sense. Yeah. This sounds like common sense. And yet Disney was so appalled by the measure that they let the governor of Florida know, if you don't put it in the classrooms in Florida, we'll put it in every movie we produce. I'm telling you, there is a spirit of lust prevailing in our world today that we as a church have to push back on. We have to take authority over it. We've gotta stand, come on church, having done all to stand, knowing the power of God is greater within us than any power working through our enemy. Let me just state about this spirit of lust. It is a militant spirit. It's a militant spirit. I'll wrap up with this. Again, I got more sermon. I just don't have any more time. But I'll wrap up with this. Demon sent out on militant detail against believers doesn't result in believers being possessed by that demon. I just wanna set the record straight. There is nothing in scripture that even mildly suggests that a, a Christian with the spirit of God in their life can be possessed by a demon spirit. What do you think Jesus is gonna do? Treat your heart like a duplex and him and the devil are gonna be roomies? Give me a break. That is not gonna happen. So what we're describing here today isn't possession. Satan, demons, will never be in possession of a born-again believer. What we're describing is oppression, and you better believe demons can oppress God's people. Always has, always will. And we need to recognize that difference. Now, the reason I'm stressing this is because you need to understand how a religious spirit works. The devil has no problem with you believing he's so powerful he can step in and take possession of a Christian's life. And he'll let you believe in that religiously so that he'll put you in a corner of a church somewhere in a circle, casting the demons out of each other, spitting them in a little brown bag. I don't know what you're going to do with the bag. It's the most ridiculous thing. And yet, You're praying right into the enemy's hands. That's right where he wants you. He wants to convince you. The churches that aren't teaching this, they just don't know. They don't have as much spiritual insight as we do over here in the corner casting demons out of each other. No, 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 no. The devil wants you in a corner doing dumb stuff instead of out there in the world where you belong, kicking tail and taking names by the power of Almighty God. Listen to me. You want to cast the demon out? Cast the demon out of your mind, your thought life, your worldview. Cast the demon out of your perspective, your plans, your prospects. Cast that demon down. Second Corinthians 10 verse 5 says, we demolish his arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedience to Christ. These strongholds don't have to exist. We can tear them down by the power of Almighty God, and we can live free to the glory of God. Do you believe it? I believe it today. Believe it with all my heart. And I believe that's exactly what God wants for each and every one of us. Hey everyone, this is Pastor Jeff Ables and I just wanted to take a minute to thank you for joining us on our podcast today. Maybe the Holy Spirit has been dealing with your heart as you've listened to this message and you feel like you just need to get right with God. If you have no real assurance that you are right with God, If you cannot honestly say you've been living for God and you know that needs to change, I want to invite you to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior right now. You know, the Bible tells us that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That means God loves you and God's ready to save you. He's just waiting on you to call on Him. Why don't you call on Him right now by praying a very simple prayer with me. I want you to repeat the words of this prayer after me. Let those words come right from your heart. Let's pray. Dear God, I come to you right now in the name of Jesus. I know that I'm a sinner. I know my sin separates me from God. And I don't want that. I believe in Jesus. I believe he died for me. I believe he rose again through faith in Jesus. I believe my life can change. So I ask you, Jesus, come into my heart, forgive all my sin and change my life. Be Lord of my life from this day forward. I don't live for me anymore or this world, God, I want to live for you. Help me to do that. And I thank you right now, even as I pray. According to your promise, my sin is all forgiven. I'm now right with God. I am saved. Thank you, God, for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you just prayed that prayer with me, we would really love to know about it. We'd love to give you some next steps to get you started on your brand new journey of faith. What I'd love for you to do is just text the word SAVED, S-A-V-E-D, to 337-222-3210. And someone will connect with you to provide you with some resources that I think will help you greatly. Again, just text the word SAVED, S-A-V-E-D, to 337-222-3210. Thanks again for joining us on the podcast today. And God richly bless you is our prayer for you.